Have you ever wanted to be bold, to be brave, speak up, take a new path in life, but you wish you had someone to walk beside you? This is A Voice of Her Own, a podcast about our journey to agency, authority, and action. Each week, you'll get inspiration, actionable practices, and support from me and from brave women of all kinds, walking their own path and telling their own stories. I'm Diva. I'm a trauma-informed coach and a doctoral student in psychology. So I know a few things about seeking an authentic life, but I'm still learning too. So join me as we support, encourage, and inspire each other. This is a podcast about showing up. This is a voice of her own. Hey friends. So yesterday I had a really beautiful conversation with a woman I'm going to call Rachel. She has chosen not to use her real name for reasons that will become apparent as you get into this episode. Uh, But Rachel is really, to me, an embodiment of what it means to be brave and to walk your own path in this world. Rachel is a mom of two, a wife of 12 years, She lives on the shores of Lake Michigan. She uh, is active in her community. She organizes her community garden. She, in the past, has been um, a yoga teacher. She's a really lovely, down-to-earth person who's remarkable for her kindness, but not for any kind of external appearance. But Rachel's someone who has chosen to live a very different lifestyle from most of, most of us. She and her husband have an alternative relationship, and Rachel is very passionate about changing the cultural narrative around relationships and what's possible within community and within the connection between two human beings. So I was really excited to have a conversation with her because I have such admiration for people who are not only willing to walk the walk, but who are willing to be open and vulnerable about talking the talk and being open to questions and letting themselves be an open book to others. And it's curious because we definitely talked about the fact that she chose to use a pseudonym for this. We talked a lot about the where we walk between private and public and how much is really up for other people and how much we keep for ourselves. Um, She had a beautiful quote, and I think I look at my conversations and when I'm listening to them again, I find that one quote that just jumps out. And for me, it was this one. She said, we get to co-create these relationships however we want to. And that is what society really doesn't want you to believe. I really resonate with that because I think we all engage in really oppressive practices that are oppressive to ourselves. It's not just our oppression of others, but it's a mutuality where we engage in these oppressive cultural systems and oftentimes don't even question them. We don't look to see where we got these expectations and what these expectations do to us and do to our sense of self. So 
Rachel and I discussed a lot of, um, it was a deep conversation. We talked about her identity as somebody who has an alternative relationship structure. We talked about the role of agency as a woman who grew up in a very conservative Christian culture. Um, we talked about the ingrained expectations of marriage and the cultural messaging that surrounds marriage. We talked about the importance of getting outside the bubble, getting outside the echo chamber, growing your perspective through travel or through meeting people that you just don't agree with and don't understand and actually trying to hear them and where they come from. We talked about the taboo of having amorous feelings outside of your primary partnership and how she had always assumed that was part of her Christian upbringing, but the realization that it's actually a broader cultural message that's deeply ingrained. We talked about the benefit of allowing spaciousness in our lives, how it allows serendipity to emerge, and how you can sow seeds for your own growth and then completely forget about them until you get to harvest the rewards years later. Um, We talked about Rachel's discovery about the inherent parts of herself that she was going to have to suppress to keep her marriage going and her ultimate unwillingness to do that. Um, We talked about how intimacy and sex are conflated terms, and they don't necessarily lead to or spring from one another. And we also talked about liberation and how being really liberated in a, a relationship with others isn't necessarily something about sexuality. It's something about connection and how that perspective really can take you out into the wider world and change your relationship to everyone, everyone in your life, your family, your friends, your coworkers, and those people that you have not yet met, people that you might otherwise not feel a sense of kinship with. So the entire conversation for me was a very beautiful exploration of what's possible when you allow yourself to step outside of the conventions that are handed to you and you take a moment to explore those and to really um, dig into what is true for you and what you are capable of when you lean into your sense of who you are and stay really clear about it even when you're not clear about what's gonna happen next. The last thing that we talked about is a way to really come back to your sense of who you are and some practices for grounding into that in the midst of a world that wants to tell you who to be. It's important to have some practices to remember who you are. So I hope you enjoy this episode Um, as much as I did. It was beautiful to talk to her. So without further ado, the lovely, present, courageous Rachel. Well, welcome, 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 Rachel. Thank you for coming to the show this morning. Welcome to A Voice of Her Own. Yeah, thanks for having me, Diva. I'm really excited. So I haven't um, explained to listeners why you're on the show um, or what we're going to be talking about because I feel that it's really important for people to define themselves as opposed to being defined by someone else. Um, (laughs) You and I met in a study group on alternative 
alternative forms of sexuality. Um, right. Gosh, it seems like a long time ago. And, uh -huh. and uh, I came into that wanting to explore the sort of psychological, I want to use the word repercussions, but the the effect of um, coming into the world as a bisexual woman and what that mm. what that means for me to identify that way and to walk the walk the path between private and public when it comes to my own expression of myself. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if you could give um, listeners a little bio about who you are and then explain what you came into that group how you came into that group, and then maybe you could talk about how that relates to um, being here today. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so I am Rachel, and I am coming from, um, I am in a marriage of 12 years. I have children. Um, and we are um, a family that, that likes to be outside together. We like to garden together. We like to be in the woods together. Um, my husband and I come from similar backgrounds of conservative Christianity. And about five years into our marriage, we transitioned um, into... Uh, what, I mean, what looks like on the outside is an open marriage. We use the term polyamory. Um, and um, yeah, that was kind of something that started to stir for me. And I brought it into the conversation of our relationship. And um, <laughs> to say we transitioned into it is kind of an understatement. <laughs> it, was, it, was, <laughs> it was definitely um, a journey. Um, but yeah, we transitioned into it and and have been a polyamorous couple for, for a number of years now. So that's what brought me into that study group with you, um, was especially my identity around polyamory and and how I relate to that as, um, as a married person, also as a mother. Um, yeah, just and how that how that's kind of informed by my own desires and, and what society has to say about that. <laughs> so. Right. Which <laughs> society is never quiet about a woman's choices. That's right. Uh, I think right. you know that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm going to take it back. And um, if you don't mind, we'll just do yeah. a little bit of a timeline and go back to, because um, as you know, this podcast is about a woman's journey to agency, authority, and action. And I see your story as having all of those elements, which is one of the reasons mm -hmm. I wanted you to be here. And so what was the role of agency as a female growing up in a conservative Christian household? Like what, what did you grow up knowing or learning about yourself as a female? Hmm. Yeah, good question. <clears throat> that was... Uh, it was it was complicated, <laughs> and I think it, um, more than like outright messages of like you know what I read or something. It was it was more the lived experience of what was modeled for me, um, and that is that you know the husband is the authority in the relationship. Um, so I kind of learned early on to defer to the strong male presence in the room. 
Um, and that was, you know, throughout my, I would say, you know, my family certainly, but then even I, church was such a big part of my life. Um, and, and so that was, you know, part of like the, the leadership of the church, um, was definitely like that. That's what I learned to do. I learned to, to defer and to try to, I want to even say like, make the, make the, the male authority happy. Um, was there, was there a segregation at all in your church? I'm just curious if there was like very defined women's roles within the church services and roles for men. Is that something that was a part of it? Right. And that, no, it wasn't as deep as that. And I will say like the, the denomination that I grew up in, um, I would say our church kind of on a spectrum was on the more, um, I don't know, like liberal side, if you can even call it that <laughs> of the spectrum, because there were some that still, that still adhered to, to very defined roles in our church. Like, um, women were on the board, for instance. Um, oh, so they were progressive. More progressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, more progressive in that, like, when, there was never talk, and this is what I mean more by, like, the models rather than, like, the talk. Like, there was never talk of, like, women can't be ministers. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also not talk that, like, women can be. Um, right. And, and there right. weren't any, I mean, except, save for, like, music. Like, the women did a lot of the music. Um, but, but then just, like, subliminal messages, um, like, even, even in, in regards to sexuality, I remember being at a, um, uh, what do you call it, a bridal shower one time for one of the young women in the church. And and the the women, we all, you know, sat in a circle and, and I was young at that point. And all of the wives went around and took turns giving advice. And a lot of the advice revolved around, even if you don't want to, just do it. Like, just get used to not wanting to and doing it anyway, in regards to sex. Um, and... So, you know, those things, that was, that was what I was growing up with. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. That's, um, and so then when, when I got married, even though I would say I had kind of shifted out of that mindset, there was still, it was like so deeply ingrained in me that I really, my husband and I both had to do work to um, disentangle ourselves from that messaging and really notice like, oh, I think that I'm supposed to be doing this for you and vice versa. He thought, you know, like, you're, like I thought you're my husband, you do this for me. And he thought you're my wife, you do this for me. And it really kind of messed up our our sexual relationship for, for a little while at the beginning. And, and just to, because um, I know a little bit of your story, didn't you end up getting married because of being sexual with one another? Like, wasn't that sort of a given that if you were going to be sexual, you were going to be married, they go together. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and we had decided, yeah, we, we had become sexually intimate before we were married. Um, but yeah, it was, (laughs) yeah, basically as soon as we started, started, um, having a sexual relationship, we both, just assumed marriage and we're, and we're married young <laughs> and, you know, we look back on it now and we think, you know, I, I'm, we're so grateful that it was each other because we were young and it could have gone a very different way. And we, you know, I don't, I right. wouldn't have gotten married that young if I were to do it over again, but I um, am very grateful that I married him. <laughs> yeah. So how, so at, 
when did you start stepping away from that Christian belief system? Was that something mm. that you did with your husband or is that something that you did separately and then brought into your marriage? How did that work for you? Mm. Yeah, I like that question it, it, because it's something that I have um, thought about recently. Um, the way that it happened was not this decision that I made, like, this is not for me anymore. It was really interesting how it happened sort of organically. Um, and even as I think about, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about like our sexual relationship, my husband and me, and, and the way that started to shift. And even as, as I was, you know, deciding to be sexually intimate with him, even before we were married, I still would have called myself a Christian. And so it's sort of like these two journeys that that unwound themselves together um, as far as like my sexuality and my relationship with Christianity. Um, but uh, yeah, when we were when we were first together, we we still would have called ourselves Christians. And then um, it was this gradual thing of, I think, um, just just allowing ourselves to to be open to different experiences in life. We were lucky to to have a good community around us and a community and we traveled and and because of like opening ourselves to experiences of others and kind of getting out of the bubble, I think that conservative Christianity in particular can be sort of a bubble. Um, getting out of the bubble of that and 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 slowly beginning to notice, um, the ways that, that this, this, uh, religion had like claimed the roots of us <laughs> and, and, and being able to get some perspective on that and see like, oh, wait a second, maybe I don't actually want to interact in that way, or this is not how I believe or, or how I want to be in a relationship or whatever. Um, and that happened very organically. Um, and, and for both of us, it happened separately, but together. And so mm. it was something I was, I was reflecting on not too long ago. Cause I, I happened across like old love letters <laughs> that we oh, had sent each other. I love that. Yeah. So and fun. I, was, I was surprised in the letters at how I was like, wow, we were still like, we talked about Jesus. We were like really Christian. And I, I almost had been, I almost had thought, you know, like, oh, this was never a part of our relationship because of how peaceful <laughs> the transition out of it had been, you know? Oh, like hindsight. I, yeah, I had forgotten. And so I feel very lucky that that was something that happened. And again, I, I really can't pinpoint a time. I think it was just, um, well, it's, yeah. it's interesting because I think people often say that travel is one of the single greatest teachers that you can have, right? Just getting mm -hmm. out of the echo chamber. And I think that goes across spectrums, you know, like yep. it's as true for me as it would be for somebody growing up in, you know, conservative deep South or wh whatever. I, I think sure. that travel is so eye-opening because it doesn't really occur to you how many different ways there are to experience life until you experience them. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with that. So the, the mm, slow, organic moving away from that kind of conservative Christianity was a different journey, but an overlapping or related journey to your transition of your marriage from being monogamous to being polyamorous. 
Yes. I, I've got that right. Okay. So yes. I'm curious because one of the things that um, happens in strong religious upbringings is that the authority of your own sense of self is put into an external God um, mm -hmm. or gods. And so turning back to the authority piece of it, when did you start to claim authority over your own sense of self, your own ability to move in the world, your own values and your, and your sexuality? Mm. Mm, yeah. Thanks for that question. Um, yeah, I remember, um, I'm like remembering the first crush that I had post marriage <laughs> um, and, and the way it sort of like turned me inside out where I was just. Um, yeah. I had was, a conversation. I'm just, I will just throw this in there. Yeah. I had a conversation with someone the other day and I said, you know, when I was in my early twenties and even into I, probably my late twenties, if I felt attraction to someone other than my partner, I assumed that my relationship was dead and over. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, that's it. He must not be the person for me because I have feelings for someone else. Like, yeah. that's it. Yeah. 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 It's actually really helpful to hear that. I literally believed that if you had any desire or any amorous feelings towards someone else, that it meant that your relationship was like over and, and, uh, that it like clearly that was a sign that you weren't in the right relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I and it's it's actually really I like hearing that because I think it gives me uh, a little bit of uh, I don't know perspective or something like oh this is it I feel like uh, more of a sense of belonging there when you, I hear you say that because um, I wrapped up a lot of my story of. Um, you know, feeling like my relationship was doomed or I was messing up or something really into the realm of, of conservative Christianity. But it's like, oh, this is a this is a deep cultural message <laughs> that yeah. um, you know, that we're not allowed to to have yeah, amorous feelings for for more than one. And um yeah, so it really turned me inside out. And I and the reason I started talking about that is because I I I sense that that's the time that I started to um a shift what, what um, having, you know, authority over my own, my own sexual life was going to look like, um, I think around that time, and I didn't act on the, the feelings of this first crush, um, at least not in a, in a sexual way. They were just present and it was, it was a good opportunity for my husband and I to like dive into um, this conversation and that, and, at that point, it really was just that. It was just a conversation. Um, and then around that time when I was having this crush and it was kind of turning me inside out and shifting perspectives and all that, I started a group <laughs> for for women in my community who were married. And I called it, uh, I switched around the word wife and mm. I, made the, I made it if we and oh. it just like just for like I, I felt like it so much opened I, up possibilities. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. I didn't know yeah. that, and that's brilliant. Okay. <laughs> if we, if we, and I, and it, like if we, whatever you know, and and it didn't. I mean, there were just a few gatherings. It didn't last um, a very long time. But what I 
I remember what I wanted in those gatherings was um, I just wanted us to be able to gather and like tell stories on like who we were outside mm. of the context of life. Um, it was something that I was really grappling with. And I, and that's the authority piece, right? Is that because I, because of my upbringing and like deferring to the, the male in my life, um, the male figure, I suddenly was like, wait a second, <laughs> I don't want to do that. And thankfully I had a husband who was like, no, I don't want that either. Let's figure something else out. Um, right. It could have so gone I really differently. Obviously. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely could have. Um, but yeah, as I was kind of grappling with that's, that's not what I want. So what if, you know, what if, what if we do something different? And so that was kind of where that was born from. And I had, I had women from all different, um, ages and like how long they'd been in marriages and, and all of that in the, in the picture. And so, I don't know, it was, it's kind of sweet to think back on that time. I, there wasn't like, um, not a lot like physically that came out of it, but I really do feel like it impacted, um, you know, how I, how I started to move forward and think about it myself. I think it's super interesting to look back and see the seeds of things that may yeah. like, for example, you know, you love gardening. So if you grow something like asparagus or rhubarb, like you have to wait for a long time to reap right. the harvest of those things. Yeah. And, you know, it's easy to be sort of ignoring the things that aren't necessarily producing something that we can harvest right now. Mm. But when you look back, you see, oh, I planted the seeds for this growth that I am currently experiencing quite a while back. And it's mm. just, there's something really for me, um, hopeful about that and yeah. also reassuring that like oh my path actually makes sense even though it's not what the external world has laid out for me but yeah. you can kind of sense that there has always been a compass leading you if that makes sense totally i love that and i'll take can i take that metaphor just a step further i love that yeah. you used asparagus and rhubarb because those are things that that pop up in our garden all the time and like in surprise spots, right? Oh yeah, I <laughs> so love that. Like, the that's best. the other piece of it where, where um, you know, like we're, we're planting something and we're like, oh my God, look at this asparagus. It's popping up this year in this spot that like, I don't even remember anything happening here. And, and like, I don't know, just the way that life can happen in these like nooks and crannies that you've, that you've just like shut yeah. off or like that's not nothing's gonna happen there or you had a different plan for that place yes. or whatever but there's yes. like oh there's this like beautiful thing growing here because of seeds that I planted you know a long time ago and the way that they've spread and and we've allowed that that space to let them spread. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's a, that that a beautiful <laughs> metaphor for life. It really is because mm -hmm. one of the things that I have been appreciating lately is the serendipity of certain things and how things that are unexpected, you know, when we try to control and plan and strategize, I mean, you know me, I love a good list. Like I'm, I'm all about <laughs> it. I love my post-it notes. You will pry those out of my cold dead hands, but, but there's something about allowing that room for unexpected things to come up that you couldn't possibly plan for and that are better than what you planned. Right. Right. Yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah, I, I love, love that. that. Um, and I, I'm gonna just go back for a minute. <clears throat> sure. So, um, 
how so then as you had this crush and then you had this group the mm -hmm. if we group which i love mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, where in that did you start to learn that or maybe i'm putting the cart before the horse but w where did you learn that that polyamory was even a thing mm -hmm. like how, how did that even come into your consciousness because i think mm -hmm. i think that what I like to call enforced heteronormativity monogamy, right? Which just means that we have a cultural expectation that two people will be identified as male and female, they will be married and they will only have sex with each other. That's right. our cultural expectation. Right. And so when you get that expectation from birth, unless somebody comes along and says, hey, did you realize that some people don't identify as male or female? You're like, what? Mind blown. You know, so how, so I assume that when like somebody came along and said to you, hey, do you realize that some people have sex outside of marriage and it's totally okay? Did you mm -hmm. have like a mind blown or how did, how did that come around for you? Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it was, um, friends from college that that were had uh, relocated to a different city and um they got they were you know just got involved in the community there where they learned about it and and so as we stayed in touch post-college um i remember actually the first time i heard about it i was like that sounds dumb that's an excuse <laughs> <laughs> you just don't want to commit yeah um having those like feelings really like a very initial very um very small but like kind of intense flare up when i first heard it um of a reaction yeah. and then um you know thankfully especially uh, this one friend um we really committed to each other in relationship and so we could keep showing up in these conversations um and i started to just like I don't know, be open to it. I'm not sure what shifted it for me, honestly. Um, just maybe hearing them talk about it. Um, and and then, yeah, like I said, this this crush started to happen and I was like, oh shit. All right, we are at the shout out. The shout out is a person, place, thing, idea, or product that I'm super excited about and I want to share with you. It might be an affiliate link. Often, I mean, honestly, 99% of the time it's not. It's just something that I recommend, I think is exciting. And I love the idea of people telling each other great things that they have found. So today, I want to talk about Scribd. I am a grad student. I have an insane amount of reading to do every week. It's mind boggling. And uh, I found Scribd, I was turned on to it by another student, I think two years ago, and it has saved my bacon. So Scribd is a digital library. It's a monthly subscription that gives you instant access to eBooks, audiobooks, articles, podcasts, even sheet music and documents like people's notes and PDFs that they've uploaded. It's um, it's like having your local library and like a Netflix and your favorite bookstore and you know that big box store that you don't really want to spend money at it's like they all got together and had a digital baby that's scribd it's 
really useful. I've found probably 80% of the books that I read are on Scribd and the other part that I have to order, I try to order through um, Ava Books, which is another shout out I'll do some other time. But Scribd um, has a referral program where you can get 60 days free if you want to try it. All you need to do is go over to the show notes at www.avoiceofherown.com. In the show notes, there's a referral code that will give you 60 days free. And I think after 60 days, you'll want to subscribe. I can't remember the exact pricing. It's less than $15 a month, which to me is completely worth it. So check it out, scribd.com. Okay, that's your shout out. Uh, what does this mean? <laughs> you know, uh, so the, I was, the the polyamory piece, not knowing about it, not doing it, but knowing about it came before the crush. The crush came after yeah. that. Oh, yeah. yeah, that must have been a yeah. crisis in your mind. Yes, totally, totally, it was. Um, yeah, and I think, and this is something that I have told my husband since. But I think polyamory is how I have always lived. <laughs> I just like you know even as much as, you know, you're expressing um, these parts of you through school, like young school and high school. And then in college, it was, you know, I didn't, I had a couple of um, guys that I dated, but it was really so much about this like bigger picture of just like being with people that I loved. I wanted to like build those connections. And that was so much a part of my life. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then, and then I met, my husband and and things happened pretty quickly there. And um, I kind of just assumed like, oh, that was, that was my younger years. I'm done with that now. Right. Um, and then, yeah. And then probably a couple of years into our marriage is when I developed this first crush. And I was like, oh shoot, this isn't just done. I'm not going to like mm. not keep experiencing these feelings. So that was, that was all the initial conversations was like, oh, I don't, I can't just shut this off or like, I guess that's an option, but just so you know, I will be shutting a part of myself down <laughs> to make right. this marriage what we, what we originally committed ourselves to. Right. Um, and I'm not sure how long I can or want to do that. Um, I think, I think yeah. uh, a really <laughs> important piece of that conversation is what you said about your reaction to your friends in college saying, oh, you just don't want to commit because I yeah. can say for absolute fucking fact that every bisexual person in the history of the world has been told that. Mm. And it's just like, it's such a curious thing because it suggests that commitment only comes in one forum with one person in one way. Yeah. And, and that assumption is a curious assumption to me because I don't think yeah. that's reflected in nature as much as people want to throw around like, Oh, this is what nature says. No, I don't think that's true. That's I think true. nature is yeah. very invested in diversity, mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but regardless, like that idea of like, okay, well, so what is commitment? And, yeah. And what does that mean to us? And what right do we have as a partnered couple to determine mm -hmm. that for ourselves? What was that mm -hmm. conversation like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, one of the things that was maybe a little unique for us also um, 
was that we were very committed to community, um, even, you know, when we were first married. Um, our, our community was a big part of our life. Um, and so even as we became parents, like I really felt like I was raising my child alongside um, alongside my friends, like they were all a part of it with me. And so that was another piece that helped us transition the conversation for us. Um, my husband and me was, um, you know, look at, look at how we are committed to these other relationships and how they're committed to us. Um, and, you know, in a way that we're defining as friendship at this point, you know, and, but then like, and we had even before we transitioned and, and became polyamorous, we had even invited one of our friends, um, into our parenting relationship and like named him as a co-parent. And that was something that he like agreed to. And, and so we were already sort of modeling, um, a different way of being um, a couple, you know, or, yeah. or even like a family unit. Yeah. Um, I think I, I am going to interject and say, I think it's important for people to understand that much like being bisexual or, or it's not necessarily about the sexual piece. Yeah. We define it that way because that's kind of the, the larger conversation that's happening, but being, polyamorous for you is not necessarily about having sex, although that exactly. might be part of it, but it's, exactly. it's, it sounds to me like what you're saying is that it's a wider perspective mm -hmm. on the kind of relationship and, and community and familial bonds that you can make with other people. Yes. Yes. That's okay. exactly it. And okay. that, and that was why I think the conversation for us was able to happen in a, in a, in a, Mm, like more an, an easier way maybe than than others um because yeah because polyamory this is the reason that i feel like that word is the best one to define me is because it means many loves and that's how it translates and that is exactly what i feel like i am a person that will fall in love so many times in this life and it mm -hmm. doesn't have to be yeah it doesn't have to be sexual i think that's that's a critique of mine with society of like what intimacy looks like is like sex right. is it right like if you if you want to be intimate then you are having sex that's what that means and that oh, this, like I just we, yeah I just had this conversation with Stacy Ramsauer in our last hmm. one of the last episodes about how we don't even understand how intimacy occurs in sex uh, right uh, I mean uh -huh. like we've so conflated those terms as if they're the same thing when in yes. fact they're there's one doesn't even necessarily lead to the other either way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. So part of what I wanted and part of what I, as we were, as we were having the conversation into opening up our marriage and um, what, how I was phrasing it was, you know, that I, I, I will be a person who will fall in love multiple times in this life. And I want the, the, the freedom, the fluidity to like be with these relationships, however they want to unfold. It does not mean like how many people can I have sex with or like, it, you know, it's just, it's not about that for me. And it's, that is, you're right. Like that's a hard thing for people to understand 
um, that's the, that is the first thing they hear, which it's, you know, it's not their fault. And I, and I don't, this right. is part of the reason I like having conversations about polyamory is because, um, because I want a different cultural narrative out there. Yeah. Yeah. And so while we're on that, just what flashed into my head is, I don't know if you remember, I mean, you're significantly younger than I am. So I don't know if you remember this, but there was a book called Open Marriage. It came out in the seventies. Okay. And, uh, and I'll link to it in the show notes because I can't remember who wrote it, but it was quite a popular book. And it was the, the premise of that book was not necessarily open marriage in the sense of we're going to go have sex with other people, although we might, but it was about opening your marriage up to being influenced by other people and other experiences that you didn't go through lockstep hand in hand, everything has to happen together or you're not a real marriage. And what people took it as is swinging. And so then it became this whole seventies narrative about swinging. And I'm wondering if you could, for um, listeners who might not know, like what is the difference between being polyamorous and swinging? And what is the difference between ethical non-monogamy and polyamory? Like there's a lot of terms and I don't even know the difference of all of them. Can you give me a kind of a, give me a clue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can, I can do my best. I will say um, one of the things I love about, oh, these, these terms in general is that, um, and, and what drew me to polyamory is that my, my whole idea, this is like, oh, my, like, I feel my heart growing when I say this is that we get to, we get to co-create these relationships however we want to. And that is like, that is what society really doesn't want you to believe. Like society culture has this, like, um, this is how you're supposed to do it. The cookie cutter route. Right. But we get to co-create whatever we want to co-create. So polyamory for me, as I said, is like many loves. So I, I will fall in love with many people. And the way that my husband and I have worked that out is that, um, you know, we, we have, communication. (laughs) There's a lot of open communication between us. Um, We are clear at this point that, that we're each other's primary partners. You know, we're, we're parents, we have a home together. And so um, it it feels clear to us that that we're primary partners at this point. Um, And honestly, with the like loose holding of like, maybe this will shift someday, maybe we will live apart someday. Um, Just kind of this like loose holding while also maintaining this structure at this point is what makes the most sense for us. Mm-hmm. Um, swinging feels more sexual to me. I know people that are swingers. Um, and that is more about like experiencing another person's body or, or perhaps like something that like intimately, um, physically, I mean, you and your partner don't align on whether that has to do with like BDSM or different kinks. Um, mm-hmm. Swinging can be a way of like, Oh, I can, I can find that here. Um, and right. it's like pretty strictly sexual. So then it doesn't, it's not about like you're falling in love with this person, whatever. And then, you know, there can be lines that you want to draw on that. Um, those are, yeah. those are two differences that I can speak to. I feel like swinging is, not always, but mostly the idea of like, this is a, maybe not a one night stand, but it's, you know, it's, it's a short duration Mm -hmm. 
not necessarily relationship based. Right. Right. Sexual experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I think people use non-monogamy and polyamory uh, as the same thing, but I yeah. um, interchangeably, but I think I was saying to you earlier that for me, the thing with non-monogamy and for the record, I'm in a monogamous relationship right now. So mm-hmm. um, that's not something I practice, mm-hmm. um, but non-monogamy is like defining yourself as what you're not as opposed mm-hmm. to what you are. And right. so that that's kind of, but it's interesting when people, you know, there is a whole movement and there's podcasts and there's, you know, forums and community around ethical non-monogamy. And that's how mm-hmm. they, um, that is how they identify. And um, that's just an interesting, you know, I always find the words that we choose to be a really interesting look into what culture we're moving through and what culture mm-hmm. we're surrounded by. Um, cause obviously, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think non-ethical non-monogamy is basically when you lie <laughs> when, and, you know, yeah. I assume that one of the things that's most important to make this work for you and your husband is the communication piece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I will say too, just the other piece about the terms, I, my other understanding is that people use the word non-monogamy as like an umbrella term because Mm -hmm. there are so many ways of expressing yourself in a non-monogamous way. (laughs) Mm, Um, And so I understand it as an umbrella term. Um, But yeah, that's exactly it. I think the communication piece is crucial. Like I said, um, you know, we, we hold this structure for now and um, you know, part of, and part of our transition was, um, this grief, honestly, this, this, this release and grief Mm. about like what we had chosen um, Mm. at the beginning of our relationship and yeah. Grieving your past identities. Yes, exactly. Mm. And in, in grieving that and choosing, you know, to release that and grieve that we have opened up this, like, Oh my God, this like entire new realm of communication and and like seeing each other so fully that is so rich and and has done nothing but like bring so much life to our relationship but it was fucking scary (laughs) before i mean because you didn't know if that's how it was going to turn out right i mean you didn't know if because i assume that the premise is that you are bringing the 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 love and experience that you find in intimacy with others into your sense of self and your husband is as well so that you're, you know, continually finding each other kind of anew. Yeah. But it could have totally not worked out like that. Right. It could have been something totally different. I'm sure that was a really scary precipice to stand on. Yeah. Yeah. And we, and that's, that's basically the precipice that we stood on together and, you know, holding hands, kind of looking out into the depths. Like, I don't know what we are after this jump, but we're deciding to take this jump together and maybe we don't end up, you know, in the same realm, but we're going to, we're going to take the leap and, and really like truly, um, whew, yeah, really letting go of, of each other, honestly, mm. in the, in that moment, um, and, and the expectations that we had on, on marriage and each other and, and all of that. Um, 
you know, I I find that so brave. Like that, that right there is one of the reasons that I immediately thought of you and your story for this Mm. podcast, because it's about brave women. And to me, that idea of standing there and leading so far into your own sense of authority and agency that you take an action that you don't know where it's going to lead, but you know that you're being true to yourself and that's what Mm -hmm. matters most Mm -hmm. is like the biggest act of bravery that I can think of. Mm. I just love that. I just, it's very meaningful to hear you Mm. say that. Yeah. Thank you for that reflection. It really, it feels true. It really did feel um, brave. It felt really brave. (laughs) It felt really scary. And and it took a lot of courage to do that together. Mm. So when you were first, um, I, I love the fact that you brought in the grief. And I think that you purposefully, intentionally ritualized some of your experiences in the transition. Is that is that yep. how you would describe it? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And can you, can you, do you feel comfortable telling us like how you ritualize that? Because I think yeah. that um, intentionally ritualizing anything that you're trying to transform is one of the most powerful ways to actually move through without getting stuck in it or having it Mm. stuck in you. Mm, Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to share it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I'll just offer a little um, of the lead up uh, was, you know, when we were, like I said, transition is an understatement. It was really, really hard. <laughs> it was, um, ooh, there were a lot of tears. And um, and we we got to a point where um, we, we decided to take some intentional space um, and not talk to each other for, I think it was a period of six weeks maybe. And, and um, oh, wow. he took it. Yeah, I think so. And I'm as I think about that now, I'm like, wow, that's a long time. But maybe that was it. <laughs> <laughs> it was something like that, a month to six weeks. Um, and he was going on a trip. And um, and so we just, we and it, that was, the, it was the trip that was going to be that long. So that was kind of how we decided on that timeline. And we just decided we're not going to talk while you're away. And not in the sense of like, because we're fighting so much, but because like, we really need to lean into who we are and what we want here. And and that um, required some, some time apart. Um, and mm. not, you know, because we were always kind of, feeling into how the other was feeling and what do you think about this? And, and we really just needed some spaciousness to, to figure it out for ourselves and then um, re-enter. Um, and that trip, that space ended up being really um, healing for us. And when we came back together after that trip, we found each other anew in this like really beautiful way. Mm. Um, and, and that was kind of when we made the decision together, I would say, um, that, okay, we're going to do this. And, and so, yeah, the, so the ceremony that we decided to do, um, is that we had a fire in our backyard and, um, we sat by the fire and just the two of us. And I think our kid was kind of in and out, but we sat and quietly and just wrote on a piece of paper, um, the expectations that we had in our relationship and our marriage and, and these things. And um, we wrote down 
with taking turns one at a time. We would write something down and then pass the notebook and the other person would write something down and just pass it back and forth, but it was all quiet. We just wrote down what we had expected in a marriage <laughs> mm. and and what we were willing to, like what we were giving up now, what we were releasing. Um, and then we threw it into the fire and like watched it burn together. And, and mm. part of what we said, and I think my husband was the original one to say this honestly, um, was that, and I, you know, I will say too, we were in therapy and <laughs> had a lot of friends that were thinking about this with us. Um, but we we had to come to terms with the fact that you you could choose to leave me. Like you could, you can choose that because, and that's part of the autonomy piece. Um, right. I'm not assuming that like, as we grow and change that we're going to like grow and change in all the same ways. And right. so part of the polyamorous piece is, yes, you could choose to leave me. And, and along the way, maybe you find someone that speaks to you, like speaks to a different part of you that I just can't speak to. And, and that's part of it too, you know, that you leave room. And um, like I was saying, fluidity for this relationship to, to develop in ways that really nourishes you and feeds you. Um, it feels like and, such and, a, a gift. Like that feels like such a luxury almost like mm -hmm. my, my first thought is like, oh, I, that sense of fluidity would for me feel like uncertainty, but of course, certainty is an illusion, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, that's not a real thing. So mm -hmm. it just feels like, oh, so in a way you're essentially giving someone the gift of like, I want what's best for you. I want yeah. what's most feeding you. And it doesn't have to be something that is transactional that I get something out of. Exactly. That's, yep. That's it. Exactly. And that was, that was, um, it's also this release of control. Like I want what's best for you. And that doesn't have to come from me, <laughs> you mm. know, like we kind of started to discover and continue to discover like ways that, um, you know, whether it's small, you know, little things like, oh, I just don't get excited about the same sort of, I don't know what, <laughs> you know, music or whatever, like little things. And like, if you find that with someone else and you just get to get excited about that and geek out about this thing together, you know, and that's a small example. And again, like that's kind of the, <laughs> the realm of polyamory where it's like, oh, you get to like co-create relationships, friendships, however those look and not feeling like insecure or something. If he's talking to another, in our case, you know, female, um, about, you know, this music that he loves and that I don't really care for and they both love it together. So just things like that where, where you just release control of like, yeah, I want what's best for you. I want you to feel met and held in ways that I'm not always going to be able to meet and hold you, but I still want that for you. And, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, if that's like, and I just really believe that that is, available to us in so many forms. I really believe in the potential of like connection between humans. It's like, I, I love that. I love the potentials here. And, and like we were saying, it's cut off because of, because of the ways that we're taught to relate and what's appropriate and what's not okay. And what, what is okay. And whatever. Right. And so what, it, yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say like the last, my question that I bring to that is like, what if we, what if we just like allow these potentials to develop? What what if we allow these connections to develop? What happens? You know, like that's kind of the question that we're always sitting with 
in my marriage specifically, but others, you know, like what, what if, you know, what if we let this unfold in this way? And I think what my husband and I have, have learned in our experience is like, oh, first of all, like love can hold us, you know, like that I, I will, I love, love, the abundance of love. I think the more love you give, the more love is you just find. <laughs> and I really believe that. And so like the, the ways that like, that's the, the, the potential I say, you know, like that there's just this love. I think that we find each other through love and connection and, and I don't want to limit that. I just, I want to invite that and welcome that in. I think I love, I love it. I mean, I love that, but I, I, I think my question that I was going to start with, and this is just from a very personal place is how did you move through the insecurities? Like you were talking about how it would be possible to be insecure about the fact that your husband geeked out on something that you don't care about with someone else. Like, mm. was that something that came naturally to you? Cause I feel like there's a mm -hmm. place in me that I would really have to unpack about why do I need to be the only, why do I need to be the number one? Like, what is that all about? And where does that come from? And I'm curious well, if that was easy for you or was that something that you had to unpack also? Yeah, I love this question. I wanted, I wanted to get into this because, um, no, it, no, it was not easy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think that's something that I, I, I also want to like reiterate for, you know, anyone who's, who's thinking about this or going through something like this, like, um, <laughs> I just continue to trust in and really feel like this is the, this is what's true for me. And I know that it is what's true for me. And so as we navigate it, you know, whatever insecurities came up, um, leaning into that fact that this is what's true. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. The things that I was insecure about kind of took me by surprise. Oh, <laughs> um, interesting. I yeah. I wasn't really, um, yeah, like it's interestingly like body image stuff, which is not something that I would have guessed um, when you started being intimate with other women. Um, and and I think what I, but this is the other thing, what I love about polyamory um, and like we were talking about with the communication is it just brings all of that to the front so that you're talking right. about it. You know, I don't right. think that jealousy and insecurity just go away when you're no. in a monogamous <laughs> relationship, you know? <laughs> right. And I mean, that's the thing is it really takes all of these issues that are already operating in yes. every, every relational exchange. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the thing is that on the other side, and I, I want to get back to what you're saying, but I don't want to forget about this because it occurred to me earlier, you know, so many of the things that you're talking about that are positives in terms of polyamory are actually things that people can use within monogamy. And oh, it's yeah. called differentiation. It means that you recognize the fact that the person you are in partnership with is a sovereign being. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. So anyway, go on. I'm curious about the, how you, how you rolled through the experience of like, oh, I didn't realize that I was going to be insecure about this. That's kind of yeah. wild. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Again, I will say, um, being able to communicate that with my husband was very liberating. Um, it was really good for our relationship. And the other part of this that has, you know, that, that's come out of, of, polyamory in general, is that we have learned to say to each other, I can't be the person to hold that for you. Do you think you can find someone else to talk to about that? Um, mm. 
which, you know, God, I think that, that must be so freeing. <laughs> it's so it must freeing. Be such a burden off of you, right? Yes. To be able to say that and know, you know, we know that we have people that we can turn to in those situations. Like, you know, so we'll name specific people. Do you think you can talk to blank about this? Because it's hard for me to hold this with you and not feel like my own anger or resentment gets stirred up. So I'm no longer a safe place for this because, you know, it, it's going to stir up my own stuff and then we're going to be in an argument. <laughs> uh -huh. um, so that was something that we learned through polyamory because, um, because we, we, in, in transitioning to polyamory, what really what we were learning was, oh, I'm not going to be everything for you. Mm -hmm. And, and that was part of the release, right. And, and part of our, even in part of our ceremony of releasing that I'm going to be your number one, everything. Right. Um, and so, yeah, as I worked through my insecurities, I, I, I talked to friends a lot. I cried, I wrote about it. You know, I, I was in therapy. Like I said, we were both in therapy. Um, and I just faced it, I think is what yes. it is. It's like you just continue to face it and continue to resource yourself with things, people, tools, whatever that you know can can help meet you in facing it. Um, and gradually, and I will say, you know, like we are in a we're in a relatively like I don't know, it's a I we're in a really beautiful spot right now, and my husband and I in our marriage. And you know, and I think that like with any relationship, there will be cycles. I think there will be harder times, times where it's feeling more confusing. There's less clarity or whatever. Um, right now we're in a space where there's a lot of clarity, a lot of freedom, a lot of love. Um, and so it is feeling really good. And I can see that, you know, we put in hard work <laughs> and that, right. and, and we're kind of, we're flowing in that space right now. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, I think, and just to, you know, to say it again, like that is true for every I mean, especially you have children and um, I think due to the time, I'm not going to go into like, what is it like to try to parent in this mm -hmm. thing? Because I know that's a whole nother piece of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but certainly there's a lot of studies that show, you know, when people have children that their relationship satisfaction plummets and it doesn't come mm. back for a really long time. And I think part of the reason that that happens beyond the fact that you're not sleeping and, you know, other priorities and all that mm -hmm. is that... <laughs> There's, because we have these expectations, people feel that they don't actually have to have the conversations. They don't actually have to do the work because it should just be a given. Uh -huh. And that's not true in relationships. It's not true with your family. It's not true with your boss. It's not true with your best friend. It's not even true with your nail lady. Like it's just, those are not <laughs> true ways of being because uh -huh. you can't have unspoken expectations without eventually, you know, either in a very apparent way, becoming disappointed or in a very subtle, like numbing kind of dissociating mm. way that you see often with people who've been in relationship for a long time, where yeah. because they're not having those conversations, they're slowly taking those threads of connection and pulling them away. Yeah. Yeah. Right. As opposed to like bringing more to them. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Okay. I am, we, I think we're coming up on the hour. So I have a mm -hmm. few more questions. Okay. Um, but one thing that I definitely want to talk about, if you're okay with it, is in this conversation right now, you're using a pseudonym. Mm -hmm. And I want 
to talk about how you have decided where and when you can be open about your the way that you conduct your relationship and what the potential repercussions are of that and where it feels like it's not up for other people's scrutiny or or other people's knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so I, as, as you know, we are entering, I don't know how many years now, uh, at the beginning of our, of our transition, my husband and me into polyamory, uh, I was very careful about who knew and who didn't, um, even within my community, uh, I felt I felt really sensitive to it. Like if people were talking about it, I felt really sensitive to that. And you know that makes sense. I was it was a big it was a big transition. So I I needed I wanted to be careful and I need, I wanted to protect myself for a little bit. Um, as time has gone on, and honestly, at, you know, as people have talked about it anyway behind my back, that's <laughs> that's gonna happen. I right. that was like part of my release in all of this as I I feel like this theme of release, right? I, I did just release like, okay, people are gonna have their ideas and opinions about this. Um I really did come to a point where I was like, it's not their fault. This is fine. I'm it feels so like when I feel into uh, you know, polyamory, the way that I am relating, choosing to relate in the world um, with with others and my family. Uh, it feels so true to me. Like there is no anxiety. There's no, uh, it's just like a settled feeling in my nervous system. So I like, I feel like I can trust that so fully. And so mm -hmm. as I really, uh, you know, felt into that and really deepened into that, I thought, okay, I'm, this is so clear to me that it does, it really doesn't matter in my community uh, what people say about this. And I have made it clear in my community here, um, I'm open to talk about this and everyone knows that. <laughs> like I, I will answer questions. Um, and like I said to you, you know, I, I think the cultural narrative on this needs to shift. And so I really do feel like um, I am happy to be a person that that helps shift that the where I have to be careful and the reason I'm using a pseudonym here is um, because of my upbringing and and it's really for my family more than anything else and um, I will I'm getting a little emotional because it is, it's sad for me that um, this isn't a um, something that I can share and not necessarily, you know, mm. like, I don't think there's much that you don't, your parents don't necessarily need to know about your sex life. <laughs> but right. like we said, like, this is so much more than a sex life kind of conversation. Um, it really has brought so much joy and fulfillment to my life, um, relating in this way and, and being seen in this way and seeing others in this way. Um, there's so, I feel so much joy, um, and, and personal growth. Like all, yeah, and a so huge much personal growth. Leap and personal growth for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, so there are pieces of that that I can that uh, in the personal growth area, you know, that I can share, and that that um, my parents especially can see, and um, and they, you know, they love my marriage, they love my husband, and I feel so grateful for that, and. Um, and I know that if they knew this piece, you know, uh, it would, it would destroy something that I'm, I'm not necessarily ready to, 
<laughs> to see destroyed. And I, and that's part, you know, as I was thinking about doing this podcast with you and, and having this conversation in a bit more of a public way, um, that was one of the questions I asked myself, you know, am I ready for this to, to change, especially with my parents? And the answer at this point is no, I'm not. I'm not ready to go into that. But if I use this, and I'm even thinking about, you know, like what we've been talking about today, if I use this framework, right, like what my husband and I went through, essentially was like we chose, um, I don't know, like emptiness, you know, like I said, we were staring off into this vast emptiness. Like, I don't know what happens, but we're choosing to make this leap. And, mm -hmm. and like what, you know, whatever comes out on the other side, um, this is what we're choosing if I can somehow use that as a model for relationships outside of the romantic context, like even in relationship with my family, um, you know, am I ready to, to, for this to be like essentially destroyed <laughs> what we have, you know, what, what's here right now taken down, you know, if you think about it, like rebuilding a house or something like taken down to the studs, like everything that has been in here, the furniture, the walls, like everything mm -hmm. goes out, it's like destroyed. Um, and then, you know, perhaps something else gets rebuilt. Um, and you know, that's a possibility. And I'm at this point, I don't think that I'm, I know that I'm not ready. I don't think that my family is ready. Sure. Um, and so. I think it, you know, it's one of those things again, where it's like, how, how do you, introduce that without it falling into the realm of like like you, you it's not necessary for you to tell them that you don't believe in what they believe you know it's mm -hmm. like is that really a necessary conversation in order for you to feel that you're being 100% yourself right and I want to say first off I think having conversations like this in public is very brave mm -hmm. um and I, I want to remind anyone listening about the real dangers of women being upfront about their sexuality, mm -hmm. of anyone who identifies in any way uh, alternative being sexual, uh, of, you know, there's anything that goes against the cultural norm has consequences. And mm -hmm. those consequences particularly for people of alternate sexuality and particularly for women, both have been very blatantly physically dangerous at times and still are in many parts of the world. And so it's mm -hmm. like, you know, in addition to, hey, am I ready to have this public facing all the time? I think in an interior way, we all feel that sense of like, oh, if I go against the cultural norm, like, what's going to happen to me? Right. Where, you know, where's this consequence going to lay out? So I think that's a very real thing. And I yep. think that it's, it's again, something that ebbs and flows, you know, tomorrow you might be at the supermarket and you might be like, God damn, I want to tell everybody <laughs> this is a great way to live, but <laughs> it gets to be your choice. It gets to be, that's part of having agency, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you. Uh, um, okay. Are you ready for bonus question number one and number two? These are Hit big me. questions. Okay. So I know that you uh, identify as, well, maybe I'll let you say, like, I know that you're very passionate about um, 
equity and Mm -hmm. inclusion. And, um, and so tell me the terminology that you like to use. Mm, I like, um, I borrow from Resma Minicum, who wrote My Grandmother's Hands. His term, I learned it from him at least, is somatic abolitionism. So that's what I like to use. And so he uses, and I love him, and I I Mm -hmm. also said this in the last episode, that he originally studied under David Schnark, who wrote Passionate Marriage, which in the sexual crucible, and he, his uh, first... Um, he was first a couples therapist and he did it through sex therapy, which is like through the whole idea of differentiating, right? Which mm. is what we were talking about earlier. So yeah, I just yeah. love well, that because great. I feel like that there, I feel that there is a connection between people's sense of, um, I just, their sexuality and who they are, that it's yes. bigger than just what happens in the bedroom, that it's yes. how you are in your entire life. Absolutely. Um, so that was a theme last week, and I guess it's a theme this week too. Yeah, I love it. So I love it. <laughs> the question is, is there a relationship between white body supremacy and culturally enforced heteronormative monogamy? Mm. Do you think that there's some through line between those two things that people often really struggle, like that are deeply oppressive in the most personal way? Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Nice one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so here's what, um, you know, getting back to this term somatic abolitionist, um, essentially if I break that down, you know, in the way that I understand it and, and please, you know, check out Resma's work on this too, but <clears throat> yeah, the way I'll that I understand it for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, the way that I understand it is that, um, these oppressive systems, so that that includes, you know, white supremacy and and heteronormativity, patriarchy. That's all. That's all a part of this, you know. And bell hooks would call it all one big oppressive system, right? That she was the mm-hmm. first person I heard to like just group it, lump it all together. Um, so you can think about it as like um, separate or even all, all together like that. So they, you know, really do see the connection. Um, but essentially, the oppressive system has um such a hold on us it kind of like what i was talking about in my in my marriage early on when we had to untangle ourselves from like wait a second i didn't think that i thought this but like now that i'm here i i feel like you know i expect these things from you and it's very um you know in my unconscious that that that's happening <laughs> and so yeah, it's insidious. yeah and so so the way these oppressive systems like wind their way into our systems so that like in our nervous system, like literally in our bodies, we are we have learned to relate in this way. Um, so like that's what I mean when I say, you know, people are talking about this behind my back. Like it's not their fault. This is like what they have learned. So part of what I see um, my role at this point is. Um, yeah, sh- shifting the cultural narrative, presenting a different option. And and one of my biggest passions is, um, or like driving forces is, is liberation, like in every sense of the word. So the way that I see, you know, so then that when this relates to like white body supremacy, um, part of what liberation means in that context is that I am understanding, I am a white person, so I'm understanding my privilege um, the way that white supremacy lives in me because of having a white body 
and unwinding myself from that so that I can, so that I can, um, I can be liberated from a system, you know, from the system in the way that I see other people and I can work towards the liberation of people that are not, do, do not have white bodies and, and are treated differently because of that. And yeah. then in the, and then the context of like relationships. So then this liberation aspect in relationships, like I will say all the time, and I'm glad to have the opportunity to say it here. I am not a person that preaches polyamory for everybody. I don't think that it's for everybody. And you know, and the, the model perfect here for you and me, like you're a person in a monogamous, monogamous relationship. I'm not like, you really should try polyamory. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not what I'm about. It's not a sales call. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> I am about like liberated relationships. And like you were saying, like these, these conversations, these, these things that, you know, I was doing in my marriage in the transition to polyamory, like they are things that can be um, part of a monogamous relationship, the same conversations. So I am about a liberated relationship where people can, um, you know, and I'll, and this is a phrase I use a lot too from Thomas Hubel, who talks about, and I don't, I don't know much about the context of it, but I just love this phrase. So I come back to it a lot. Um, the idea of creating communities where we, where there can be belonging and becoming. And so mm. uh, like relationships where we can belong and also become right. And mm -hmm. so for us, that has looked like polyamory. And that is the, what feels very true to us. Like I said, that feels like in our bodies, very true. But what does it look like to create relationships, um, intimate partnerships, friendships, um, community relationships, whatever, where, where you can um, foster that, that people are becoming, you know, like foster this sense of autonomy, this sense of agency, while still like widening the container to hold What's right. here and to hold the variations and yes. the different ways that that might make itself present. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's a wonderful way to wrap up. I think the one thing that I would like to end with, if it feels good to you is I ask my guests to bring an actionable, um, like a ritual or a practice, something that they can do in their own lives um, that they can take away from this podcast and that's actually useful. And I'm wondering, I think that you brought something that you thought would be useful. So now it's time for the takeaway. The takeaway is an actionable practice that you can take out in the world as you journey forward. It's something that could be, should be, hopefully will be of use to you. It's a practice. It's not something that, you know, maybe you're going to master right away, but possibly you could. It could be something that will really, even today, you could start and you'll see results from it, something that can help you on your journey. And today's takeaway is coming up. Mm. Yeah. And, and mine is more, um, I guess I'll say abstract or something. It's not like a step-by-step um, -step practice, but I think what felt so important to me and what continues to feel so important to me in, in fostering my own um, autonomy and agency is, and especially in the context of um, intimate relationships, um, is just... Um, Uh, tying my tethers to 
um, the things that remind me of who I am. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, and, and, um, so I'm even thinking about like, um, you know, the, the more than human world, it doesn't have to be like other relationships or whatever, but just like, I, I think about, um, you know, one of the things that's that has become a really important practice for me is going and sitting in the backyard with the maple tree um, and and just like putting my feet on the ground, feeling my back against the tree and and breathing and rem- and like feeling the breath in my body, feeling the, my feet on the ground. Um, it's just this like sense of coming back to who I am. And, yes. Um, and I, and I do that in different ways. So then like in the garden too, like there's different, there's different ways, I guess for me, it, it links a lot to outside. Cause that's a big part of, um, what reminds me of who I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it also relates to the real practice of grounding and how important that is, especially yes. when we start to get into sort of complex theoretical yeah ideas that we're trying to discuss in language that is another abstraction in itself from what we're actually somatically feeling and finding a way to return to the essence, which is Mm -hmm. the grounded somatic embodiment of self. Yes. And that can be as simple as walking barefoot. It can be, you know, you're back against the tree. One of the things I did when it was warmer, it was not muddy and raining like it is now, Mm -hmm. but I laid down under in the horse paddock under the trees. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I realized I hadn't laid down on the ground (laughs) in like more years, maybe more than a year, you know? And I thought, wow, like that's very divorced from reality because the reality is, you know, we're creatures of the earth. And when you come back to that, it's, it's so much more yourself your own self is so much more accessible yes yes exactly that's so beautiful thanks for putting those words to it because that's it is yeah it's the embodiment it's um yeah just bringing you back to the somatic sensation of like this is where i am this is this is what's in front of me this is yeah all of that has been really like it sounds so simple and it has been so effective Mm. in in this in this movement for me and it continues to be so crucial to how I show up to all of my relationships it's really important I love that that's beautiful it's a beautiful way to end because simplicity is really uh, like ultimately isn't that what we're sort of all striving for is the simple Mm. ways that we can be authentic and yes show up you know i mean that's the that's the whole that's the that's the sauce i love it yes yes um yes. so in the interest of time i'm i know we could talk uh probably mm-hmm. all morning <laughs> and i'm just so grateful that you were willing to come have this open conversation and put yourself in a place to shift the narrative and i hope um so certainly anyone who's listening who's curious about this i'm going to put links in the show notes to all the things we talked about. And if you have any particular resources that you want to share, if you would go ahead and 
email them to me. I will put them in the show notes as well, because I think it's really important for people to realize that, hey, you know, there's a lot of people out there doing a lot of different things, and you're probably not the only person who had that thought. And yeah. sometimes it's just really nice to know that somebody is there walking that path with you. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sounds Thank good. You. Well, thank you so much. All of the love to you. Mm -hmm. And um, again, my deep appreciation. Mm. Yeah. Right back at you. Hey friends. Thank you again for joining me on a voice of her own. I hope that this episode was useful, that it was inspiring, that it sparked something in you that you can take out into the world. And if you want to hear more episodes or you want to sign up for our newsletter so you never miss one being released, head on over to www.avoiceofherown.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can get all the show notes. You can uh, get all the links to everything we talked about and any promotional things that I have going on. So again, thanks for joining us and take that out into the world and be your badass self. <laughs>